This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello, welcome to VO Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Douglas Simpuga. And here's what's coming up. Uh, what we're seeing is an interesting kind of balance of terror, if you will, between Israel and Hezbollah. Each one does not want an escalation into an all-out war, but there is a sort of a ping-pong of hostilities. Pretty restrained and disciplined, I think. That was Ari Neal, spokesperson for America for Peace Now, on the complications and efforts to keep the Israeli-Hamas conflict from spreading to other countries. Also, scientists say last year was likely the hottest on Earth in the last 100,000 years. And 10 Algerian police officers were taken into custody after a man was found near death in a plane's landing gear. All this and more coming up on African News Tonight. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said he would discuss the way forward as he made today with Israeli leaders in Tel Aviv amid a push to prevent the war in Gaza from spreading in the region and for Israeli officials to do more to protect civilians and facilitate humanitarian aid deliveries to Gaza. Speaking alongside Israeli President Isaac Herzog, Biden said he would be meeting with families of some of the hostages taken by Hamas militants at the start of the conflict. In a statement following talks yesterday with Blinken, Saudi Arabian Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman underscored the importance of halting military operations in the Gaza Strip and the need to create conditions for restoring peace and stability. Saudi Arabia has opposed diplomatic talks to normalize ties with Israel amid the conflict between Hamas militants and Israeli forces. The U.S. has urged Israel to shift to small-scale military operations in Gaza but has continued to support Israel in refusing Arab demands for a ceasefire to halt the fighting in a three-month-old war. Hezbollah is intensifying its attacks on Israel from southern Lebanon, despite a U.S. warning against widening the conflict. Israel and the Lebanese militant group Hezbollah have been trading fire, and yesterday an Israeli strike killed one of Hezbollah's high-ranking members. Meanwhile, U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken has been traveling around the region again, hoping to keep the conflict from spreading. Ori Nils, spokesperson for Americans for Peace Now, talked to VOA's senior analyst, Mohammed El Shanawi, about prospects of preventing the conflict between Israel and Hamas from spilling over in the greater area. It's, it's hard to tell how things will develop. What I know is that the United States really is trying its best, both militarily and diplomatically, to prevent an escalation to an all-out war between Israel and Hezbollah, a kind of war that can then uh, spill over to other fronts where Iran has influence. Uh, what we're seeing is an interesting kind of balance of terror, if you will, between Israel and Hezbollah. Each one does not want an escalation into an all-out war, but there is a sort of a ping-pong of hostilities, pretty restrained and disciplined, I think, in order to try to not get to an all-out war. My sense is that that can continue in that kind of format, despite the, this assassination of a senior uh, Hezbollah uh, officer. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu warned Hezbollah of a similar destruction in Lebanon as Israel did in Gaza. Is that enough deterrence to curb Hezbollah's attacks? 
No, I, I don't think it's enough deterrence. I think that most of the deterrence is, is actually being achieved not by Israel, but by, by other, let's call them forces. One, obviously, is the United States, which sent uh, aircraft carriers and which is doing a huge amount of diplomacy with its allies in the region to try to deter uh, Hezbollah from such, you know, from, from widening the, the conflict. But the other, I think, is is the dynamics inside Lebanon itself, where Hezbollah is, again, not only a militia or an army, but also a political force that has to take into consideration political calculations, its relationship with other forces inside Lebanon. So a public opinion in Lebanon and things like that. So I think that those play a role, maybe even a greater role than what Israel is doing militarily. The U.S. is trying to prevent the conflict from turning into a regional conflict. What should the U.S. do with Israel to achieve that goal? I think that the name of the game, and we've seen that since the beginning of this conflict, is for the U.S. to grant Israel freedom of movement to some extent, not full, but freedom of movement in Gaza, the freedom to complete its uh, military objectives in the Gaza Strip, while saying we are, you know, strongly suggesting that you not do the same in the Northern Front with Hezbollah. In other words, what we've seen the U.S. doing so far is uh, taking a policy of telling Israel, yes, you can continue uh, and maybe complete your objectives in the south, in the Gaza Strip, in your war against Hamas, as long as you, first of all, as long as you do it with, you know, with, within certain constraints when it has to do with civilian population and things of that sort, but also as long as you really restrain yourself in the north because we do not want, we, the United States, do not want this uh, conflict to have regional repercussions or a regional deterioration into a, an all-out war that involves Iran and, and, and so on. Uh, I think that the U.S. probably will continue down that line, asking Israel to restrain itself in Gaza and demanding that Israel really restrain itself when it comes to its conflict with, with Hezbollah in the north. That was Ori Neal, spokesperson for American for Peace Now, speaking with the VOA senior analyst Mohammed El Shanawi. Sudan's Parliamentary Rapid Support Forces says it's open to an immediate and conditional ceasefire as it signed a declaration with the Takdum military coalition and invited the army to join in peace talks. A nine-month-old war in Sudan, which faces the world's largest displacement crisis, has devastated the country's infrastructure and prompted warnings of famine. Attempts end the conflict through negotiations led by the U.S. and Saudi Arabia have so far come to nothing and previous agreements to protect civilians have gone unheeded. Moeen Haida, Masse Corps Acting Country Director for Sudan, gives insight on what's happening on the ground. Uh, tell us, how bad is the humanitarian situation in Sudan? The actual situation is not so good. People are extremely worried and nervous about this never-ending conflict. We are seeing three major challenges on the ground, a massive uh, displacement, uh, security and access to basic needs, and the third one is food security crisis and lack of employment opportunities. Uh, Mr. Haider, w- tell us what's happening uh, to women. We hear of, you know, uh, 
sexual violence as well, targeted, you know, uh, beatings of women and children. What is their situation, the, the women, the children, and the elderly people in Sudan? Uh, women, uh, children, and uh, elderly are hit the hardest. The UN estimates that approximately 5 million children in Darfur alone are alone are at risk of being ethnically targeted. Uh, they have no access to education from the past eight months. Uh, they don't have access to basic medical facilities. Uh, so hurt like, you know, health diseases such as chlora, measles, and dengue fever are spreading. Uh, so, you know, children and women are victims of this war on an equal basis. There have been documented cases of women and children being unprotected. Uh, the women and kids are dealing with all these challenges on the ground and are too afraid of what's going on, on in country. We understand some humanitarian organizations are halting their food aid deliveries in some areas. Uh, how is Masikwas and other humanitarian organizations carrying on with this you know, aid delivery where it's needed most despite the security challenges in Sudan? So... You know, the basic challenge we need to understand here is that, you know, protection of our uh, aid workers. At this moment, uh, it is extremely difficult of delivering the aid services in the conflict zones. However, Mercy Corps has been operating in the country since uh, 2002. And after the crisis, we were able to resume our operations in Darfur, in Kordofan, um, and also in Gadarif state. Uh, we are... We are, you know, we are reaching out to post this Wadmadni conflict. Uh, we, are, we were able to reach out to around 10,000, uh, uh, you know, how mem members of the IDPs uh, during this week and aiming to reach out to 20,000 through multi-purpose cash assistance program in Gadarif. Uh, that was Moedin Haida, Masekos Acting Country Director for Sudan, speaking with my colleague Esther Githui Ewat. Last year was the planet's hottest on record by a substantial margin and likely the world's warmest in the last 100,000 years. That's according to the European Union's Copernicus Climate Change Services, C3S. Reuters says scientists had widely expected the milestone after climate records were repeatedly broken. Since June, every month has been on the world's hottest on record compared with the corresponding month in previous years. C3S confirmed 2023 as the hottest year in global temperature records going back to 1850. When checked against paleoclimatic data records from sources such as tree rings and air bubbles in glaciers, the Climate Change Service said it was very likely the warmest year in the last 100,000 years. On average, in 2023, the plant was 1.48 degrees Celsius warmer than in the 1850 to 1900 pre-industrial period. That's when humans began burning fossil fuels on an industrial scale, pumping carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. You are listening to African News Tonight. I'm Douglas Simpoga in Washington. For more information on these and other stories from the continent, please see voaafrica.com. There you'll find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. For world news, check out voanews.com. 
Last month, the former head of the election commission in the Democratic Republic of Congo allied himself with the M23 rebel group. Cornel Nanga, former chairman of the electoral commission known as SENI, signed an agreement in Nairobi with the M23 and other militants, prompting an angry response from the DR government. The M23 is one of the largest of the more than 100 militant groups operating in the eastern DRC. It says it is defending the rights of ethnic Tutsis. However, its raids on communities and use of mass executions and sexual assault as weapons have led the U.S. and the U.N. to designate it as a terror organization. The Kinshasa government has struggled for two decades to bring peace to the vast country's eastern provinces. However, its failure to do so have led rising anger against UN peacekeeping forces there, and Kinshasa late last year ended a joint stabilization force of troops from the East African community nations. The M23 says the Congo River Alliance is designed to advance peace in the region. Recently, my colleague Peter Klotem spoke with Lawrence Kanyuka, a spokesperson for the M23. Kanyuka called the alliance a platform for pro progress which has with goal to end the suffering of Congolese, the bad governance, to restore the dignity of Congolese, to resolve the root causes of conflict for a lasting place in our country, is actually a good thing that has never happened to DRC. Finally, we have somebody of that caliber of uh, Mr. Nukone Nanga, who joined forces with M23, with other politicians to actually end the suffering of Congolese. This platform is open to all Congolese. Kanyuk also said that areas under M23 control are peaceful and stable. However, human rights groups have documented hundreds of cases of mass rapes, murder, and other possible war crimes. Nanga had intended to run in last month's presidential election in the DRC. He had been in several disputes with President Felix Shekedi, who was declared the winner of the election. Nanga went into exile a few months later. Peter Kilote today spoke with Abraham Luakabunga, the spokesperson for the Union for Democracy and Social Progress, Shekedi's party. He says there is considerable anger over Nanga's alliance with rebels and called it a kind of a rebellion. We are really, um, you know, surprised with uh, this, uh, this kind of, uh, you know, kind of situation that Mr. Nanga is calling on the table. And uh, we do uh, encourage the government we, uh, that wrote a letter to uh, authorities of Kenya asking them, you know, to, uh, to stop Mr. Nanga out of uh, our constitution. You cannot take arms, you know, to fight against your, your country. This is, uh, Nanga is a new rebel for uh, rebel leaders, since he has uh, get in touch with the M23, this situation is not good at all. And we condemn that uh, situation firmly. Luakabanga says it's uh, particularly surprising that Nanga and other rebel groups signed the alliance while the country is still waiting for final results in last month's election. Shishikedi was declared provisional winner over, uh, over about 20 other candidates. Results for legislators and provincial governors have not yet been announced. In Algeria, an Algerian court said Monday authorities had taken 10 police officers into custody over the case of a man found near death in the landing gear of a plane. 
The man was found on December 28th at a Paris airport, suffering from severe hypothermia after he snuck into the landing gear of an Air Algeria flight from Oran in western Algeria. The court said in a statement that an investigation was opened Sunday against the 10 officers who have been placed in pre-trial detention for involuntary offenses endangering the lives of people on board the aircraft and others. An Air Algeria mechanic is under investigation, the court said. And the Colorado River supports the largest cities in the southwestern U.S. One of them is well ahead in adapting to a drier future. Matt Dibble has the second story in our five-part series, Rivers at Risk. The sprawling city of Las Vegas is in one of the most arid regions of the United States. This dazzling oasis with a reputation for excess would seem to be an unlikely model for water conservation. But the city is a water success story. Bronson Mack is outreach director with the Southern Nevada Water Authority. Our community's consumption of Colorado River water has declined by approximately 30 percent, while our community's population has also increased by more than 750,000 people during that same time. We are providing less water to more people today than we did two decades ago, and that's because of water conservation. The biggest savings come from recycling wastewater and sending it back into nearby Lake Mead to be used again. Daniel Fisher is deputy general manager of the Clark County Water Reclamation District. We have the Colorado River system. We take water out of the Boulder Basin of the Lake Mead. We bring it into the Las Vegas Valley as our drinking water source. When the water goes back in the sanitary sewer system, we bring that to a treatment plant that's close to the Las Vegas Wash. We treat the water to very, very high standards. The water goes back into the Las Vegas Wash and goes back into Lake Mead, and then we reuse it again which means that some of the wastewater being treated here could end up flowing from a tap on the Las Vegas Strip again in just a few days. And the only way that can happen is if we treat this water very, very effectively. This state-of-the-art facility lets microorganisms do most of the work. We have to treat to a level that's above 98% of the other treatment plants around the country. So after this water leaves here, it's going to travel to Las Vegas Wash, which is just to our east and it goes into the Las Vegas Bay of Lake Mead. And at that point, it's re-entered the Colorado River system. For every liter of water returned to the system, Las Vegas can remove a liter without counting against its overall allocation. For the 60% of water that never becomes wastewater, the city has taken other steps, like limiting swimming pool size and evaporative cooling systems. Grass lawns, which are notorious water consumers, are banned in new housing developments. And the city pays homeowners to replace existing grass with desert landscaping. And to make sure the rules are enforced, there is a team of water cops. Runoff due to misaligned sprinklers along the sidewalk. Water is running down into the gutter. Johnny Cerrone is one of 14 wastewater investigators who patrol the city looking for infractions, like watering on the wrong day or faulty sprinklers. We are actually out here to, most of everything is to educate people. Most of the people are there grateful when we let them know that something is wrong and they're like, oh, that's why my water bill is so high. As successful as these efforts have been, the region will still need to conserve more. To meet new requirements, Nevada has agreed to cut around one-quarter of its current yearly allocation for the next three years. 
and the population continues to grow. Matt Dibble, VOA News, Las Vegas, Nevada. Nigeria's President Bola Ahmed Tinubu suspended his poverty minister yesterday amid allegations that she diverted public funds into a private bank account. The French news agency, AFP, says the measure was taken against humanitarian affairs and poverty alleviation minister Beta Edu. It came days after another senior official was suspended over corruption charges. The opposition People's Democratic Party had called for Edu to be sacked and prosecuted over the alleged looting of almost $50 million from a social investment fund meant for the well-being of the poor. And Zambia has become the latest country to enact an access to information a law as President Haikande Hachilema signed the bill this week, last week, more than 20 years since it was first introduced in Parliament. While some have welcomed the move, rights activists say the measure will fall short of international standards. Katha Short reports from Lusaka. Under the new law, every citizen can request unclassified information from the government on any issue of public interest. Grant Tunge is a spokesperson for the Zambian Civil Society Organization's Coalition on Access to Information, or ATI. The coalition has been in existence since 2011 to lobby and advocate for the enactment of laws designed to promote transparency and accountability in Zambia. Tunge says the new law is not perfect, but it is a good start. This law will enable us to start to build a culture of openness and transparency, and it's going to take years for us to do this. But let's start now. There are good aspects of it, and there are concerning aspects, but ultimately, we have to start somewhere. And we can start to sensitize people to, to start to expect an openness and transparency from government officials. The new law aims to provide a right to access information as guaranteed in the UN Convention Against Corruption and the African Charter on Human and People's Rights. It also outlines the procedures to request information and places Zambia's Human Rights Commission as an oversight institution on such requests. According to the United Nations, access to information promotes the participation of citizens in governance, enhances public confidence in government, and increases the legitimacy of public institutions. The Media Institute of Southern Africa, or MISA, is an umbrella organization representing MISA national chapters in the Southern African Development Community. MISA Zambia's national chairperson, Lorraine Mwanza, says while she welcomes the new law, it may provide little help to journalists, opposition parties, and civil society as it does not address some critical issues. The act should provide clear timelines stating how long one should wait when they request for information or when they appeal against decline to an information request from a public body. For opposition National Democratic Party leader Saboy Imboela, the new law does not meet regional and international standards on human rights, such as the African Union Convention on Cybersecurity and a Personal Data Protection. The access to information um, law is not something that uh, a good number of us are happy about because if you look at it uh, critically, it has actually been downscaled from the constitution and now very diluted. At a recent press conference, Zambian President Akainde Chilema said the enactment of the access to information law is a historic achievement. Cornelius Mwitwa is the chief government spokesperson and minister of information and media. He says the new law is in line with the administration's campaign promise to promote human rights and democracy. The president has assented to the access to information bill, which is now law, which has widened further 
the democratic space in Zambia, the precincts within which citizens freely participate in engaging their government. Zambia now joins Angola, Malawi, Namibia, Tanzania, South Africa and Zimbabwe which have enacted access to information laws. Kathy Short, VOA News, Lusaka. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Douglas Impoga in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, David Vande, and our engineer tonight, Peter Hanley, thanks for choosing The Voice of America.